0: Hello listeners and welcome to the Monte Weekly Podcast. Bring you energy matters in an informal setting. Well, very informal in these current COVID-19 times. I'm uh, sitting under my stairs at home. My name is Richard Sveresen and this week we're talking oil and oil market developments. In this episode, we hope to cover topics such as the low oil prices and if they're here to stay. What was behind the recent price war between Saudi Arabia and Russia? And if we've reached peak oil demand and the outlook for electric vehicle development. Joining the pod today is Bjarne Shieldrup, analyst at Swedish bank SEB. A warm welcome to you, Bjarne.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: I thought we could start by looking at the current price levels. We've gone sort of sub $30 a barrel basically lodged on the back of the IEA forecasts uh, that came out uh, midweek. Could you tell us a little bit about what's currently driving uh, market prices, Bjarne?
1: As most people now have, uh, have seen, you know, we have locked down economies across the world, in the UK, in Spain, in Italy, in the US, in Norway, almost everywhere, and even in China, where uh, you know, they in many ways have put the COVID crisis behind them. Mm. You know, according to Financial Times activity indicator for China, they are still close to 40% below the level uh, that China was in January. You know, so as a result, oil demand has collapsed across the world. And by many estimates, uh, as much as 30%. We're talking about uh, 30 million barrels per day reduction in consumption and and of course it takes time to shut down production. So we're running a surplus right now of, of close to 30 million barrels and inventories are filling up extremely rapidly and and uh, a news headline earlier this week uh, from uh, from Gunvor stated that they expected the global inventories to be absolutely full in three to four weeks okay. And this is just pushing oil prices down to the ground. You know what, what the oil price is doing or trying to do? It's trying to align supply and demand. Mm. You know, that is what it's trying. It's trying to send a screaming message to all producers around the world. Stop what you're doing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you
1: <know>? mm. <laughs> this is not right. We don't need it. And the crazy thing to think about is that, you know, what happens the moment global inventories are indeed full in three to four weeks, if we are still running a consumption which is 30 million barrels below uh, normal. You know, it basically means that the moment inventories are full, there's no other way uh, than that supply and demand has to be fully aligned at that very moment. You know, it basically means that in three to four weeks, production cannot be more than 70 million barrels per day, if that is what demand is. Mm.
0: There's no home for it to go to.
1: Exactly. You just have to close. Uh, And that is, I think, you know, no one really even today thinks that that is actually going to happen, that 30% of all actual physical production will have to stop mm. in three to four weeks.
0: We saw WTI prices fall below $20 a barrel. Do you think the same could happen to Brent, Bjorn?
1: Well, I mean, we, we did see that the crude oil price for Brent touched uh, 20.44 mm. a week uh, or so ago, I think. But, you know, the forward curve is now so extremely steep. Mm. So it's a big difference whether you look at the June contract or the May contract and the front contract for VTI currently is the May contract and it trades at at, uh, $20.3 per barrel. So the best comparison is actually to look at the physical spot price for Brent crude which is um currently 2260 and very very close to the VTI price. So so both Brent and VTI are basically both trading at about $20. And the June contract for VTI is trading higher at 28.4.
0: Okay. So could be feasible there. Let's go back to what happened over the Easter weekend, you know, after a price war then OPEC or mainly Saudi Arabia and Russia sealed a deal for production cuts. What was the the background to this?
1: You know, I think, uh, of course, it was Donald Trump playing all his cards to make it happen because Russia didn't want to, to back off, and Saudi Arabia didn't want to back off. And I think uh, Donald Trump, uh, you know, he has been heralding U.S. energy dominance, and he's been loving the position that the U.S. will be an increasing oil exporter to China, for example. And and that is also part of the trade negotiation deal between China and the U.S., that the U.S. should export more and more Oil and gas to China, which of course is impossible if prices are too low, because then production in the US is actually declining rapidly, which it is now. Yeah. So he wanted to save this, you know, fantastic uh, geopolitical negotiation card of uh, booming oil production and energy independence, and he also wanted to save jobs in the oil energy industry which was now basically collapsing. So, you know, he, he basically twisted the arm of Saudi Arabia and said that if you don't come along, we are going to halt military protection <laughs> for Saudi Arabia. Mm. <laughs> you know? so, And to Russia, he, he must have offered something like uh, political favor, saying that it has been a deep freeze in the political relationship between Russia and, and the U.S. for many years now. And maybe we can ease some of those if you come along uh, and help out as well. You know, So I think it was a pr- surprise that we actually did get the deal. So he has, he must have been playing all his cards and, and twisting all our arms Honestly, to get it done.
0: In a note recently, you called him the new OPEC dictator.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, I, I think um, Helima Croft called him, you know, the OPEC, um, the head of OPEC, but, you know, or the president of OPEC. But I think the real danger to, to Saudi Arabia and Russia and the other OPEC members is, is that if he is really now becoming the opec dictator because you know the the experience of russia in in the cooperation with opec they planned to cut for only like 6 months originally and then 3 years later they were still cutting and then asked to cut even deeper and they said we don't want to do this anymore you know we want to get out of these production cuts in order to try to achieve higher prices Uh, And that is why, you know, negotiation broke down uh, on the 6th of March this year, and Russia said goodbye to production cuts. And now suddenly they have to to cut production down to eight and a half million barrels or so, you know, uh, massive cuts in, in, in Russia. And the danger is when we get to the other side of this, who is going to revive their production? Is it going to be U.S. shale or is it going to be Saudi Arabia and Russia? And, you know, if Donald Trump has become an OPEC dictator. It basically means that you know he will require Saudi Arabia and Russia to stick to their promises of holding production cuts all to the end of April 2022 and then allow, actually, US shale to revive. (laughs) You know, (laughs) which is not at all what I would like to see.
0: Who knows? He may not be in the White House by then, but, uh, you know, that's another issue, I think. Um, But what did you make of the deal itself, Björn? I mean, was it too little, too late? Will it succeed? And is compliance likely? There's there's the three questions I'm throwing at you.
1: Well, you know, I think it it won't prevent uh, the inventory crisis that is now unfolding because production... And our consumption loss is so incredibly big, you know. But it will help to clean up the inventory mess afterwards, mm-hmm. right? Once uh, global oil demand revives, you know, then holding back supply as they do. I mean, if you look at it, depending on on uh, which uh, benchmarks you look towards, you know, uh, which period are they cutting from, you know, so uh, both Russia and Saudi Arabia are cutting from a baseline of, of 11 million barrels, while the other members in OPEC plus are cutting from October 2018, you know, so... So if you compare production targets, the new production targets, the current agreement with the average production levels in uh, January and February, you know, they're not going to cut 10. They're not going to cut 9.7, but more like 8.2 if all comply. So that is far, far away from the reduced demand uh, of 30 million barrels that we're seeing. So it's not going to prevent a massive surplus where all producers are fighting to try to sell their oil, you know, and store their oil. That is not going to be prevented. But over the period to January, you know, um, April 2022, they are still going to reduce production by some 3.3 billion barrels or something like that, you know, between 3.3 to 4.3 billion barrels. You know, so it's a massive reduction in comparison. You know, um, Global commercial OECD inventories currently hold some 3 billion barrels. So okay. they, their reduced production is actually more than the total OECD inventories. So over time, they're going to clean up the inventory mess, that, that's for sure, but they're not going to prevent the current crisis. So the, the main big question now, it's going to be, when are we, are we going to see global demand recovery? Yeah, yeah. That is, that is the key
0: question. Exactly. And what is your feeling here? I mean, can it fall much further? I mean, you've said 30% already. Could it, I mean, it all, it's all very hypothetical depending what's happening with the recovery and when we come out of lockdowns. But uh, what, what's your view here?
1: You know, I think if you also look at the very optimistic equity markets, mm. you know, why are they optimistic? You know, they are optimistic because they are looking at the daily new infection rate, which is declining in most places now. In uh, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Finland, England, France, um, the US, you know, everywhere, you know, it has peaked. And that gives the sense that, you know, we have the worst behind us. You know, we, we have the peak infection behind us. You know, we have moved through it more than halfway and now we're moving out on the other side to better times and economies are opening up again. The problem here, though, is that the only reason why infections are down, new infections, except for China, which basically has, has eradicated the virus and traced every goddamn <laughs> person with the virus. You know, that is not what we've done in, in uh, the rest of the world. You know, it's, it's China, Taiwan and South Korea, basically. So, the reason why infection rates are down is because we're sitting at home and destroying our economies. Mm, yeah. So, the moment we then ease restrictions, infections rates are going to go up again. Because, you know, if you look at the total penetration of the virus in any country in the world, it's probably no more than a total of 5% penetration, even in Italy, which has been worst hit the overall penetration of the virus in the population is probably no more than 5-6% maximum. So it basically means that we've managed to flatten the curve, you know, but it has become incredibly long.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and we're only moved past that curve something like 5%. The moment we start to ease restrictions again, then we're going to uh, increase infection rates again. So we're going to to now move to some, and that is why, you know, governments constantly sh- shift the easing of the lockdown uh, out in time, mm-hmm. you know, because they see that, you know, all right, we can ease the restrictions, but then infections will rise back up again. So what do we do? It, it's kind of a catch-22, isn't it? Mm. And, you know, if you look at the International Energy Agency this week, came out, you know, Global oil demand going to be down 9.3 million barrels per day year on year from 19 to 20, which is 9.3% reduction. And, you know, that is incredibly bearish. And we've never seen this kind of demand collapse in history going back to 1965. Uh, The worst we've seen was in 1980 where uh, oil demand declined by 4.1% year on year due to um, you know, the Iranian revolution and the Iraq-Iran war. Uh, and oil prices basically increased 10 times from 1973 to, to, um, to 1980. So, you know, this is the problem. And, and if you then, going back to the International Energy Agency's report earlier this, this week, yes, it was extremely bearish then you look closer at it you know you see that they actually assume that global oil demand is going to be close to normal already in Q3 basically 5% below last year and then in Q4 just 3% below last year so basically the underlying assumption here is that also in the international energy agency report is that you know we have the worst behind us this is the trough and in Q3 Everyone are back to work, and at least in Q four, and we have still some issues with fl- with flying, but that's it. You know, and it doesn't really match the fact that we have an overall penetration of of the infection of only five percent. So we're going to move from deep freeze uh, lockdowns to semi cold. You know, we're still going to have restrictions because we cannot go back to total normality uh, without spiking infections again that is the problem with the sort of I, I think also that you know probably the trough in demand is definitely going to be two, two, like two. now we're mm-hmm. not going to be much lower than 30 million barrels and 30 percent below normal the problem is the assumption of the v-shaped economic recovery economic activity recovery and thus the oil demand recovery that is you know the key problem here because if oil demand revives, as um, the International Energy Agency assumes, then inventories are going to drop super fast in the second half of the year. I mean, we're going to draw down some 200 million barrels a month in inventories in the second half of the year, with the OPEC cuts, uh, the size that they have projected, and decline, further decline in, in U.S. Uh, shale production, among other producers. So that is the problem, if uh, International Energy Agency is correct, and if market optimism is correct, that it's now it's all back to work in Q3, and almost normal in Q3 and Q4, you know, then yeah, we're going to have a massive drawdown in inventories in the second half, um, due to OPEC cuts. So OPEC cuts will work, but we don't know if, if it's going to work already in the second half, that depends on demand revival or not.
0: What's your feeling? Is it V V-shaped or U-shaped or even a W-shaped recovery?
1: I think, you know, uh, going forward, we are going to have a repeated start, stop, start, stop, start, stop from governments trying to ease restrictions and then having to pull back again because infections revive and so on. Um, you know, so that is going to reduce, I mean, currently there is significant optimism for putting this behind us and moving to the other side and almost back to normal in the second half of towards the end of the year. I think that optimism is going to uh, decline. Mm. Uh, And and also that optimism is also reflected in the forward crude oil curve, Mm. where you see ultra steep contango in the first part of the curve and then quite rapidly flattening curve after that. Basically saying that, inventory builds and extreme high inventories and high storage costs is going to be something we have a problem with now. And then inventories are going to draw down quite quickly uh, and we're not going to have that much problem, I think. And this is why, you know, the forward Brent crude price for 2021 is holding up at $40 because we have a problem now and for next half year and then things are easing and OPEC is cutting and it's all good in, in 2021. So I think as we lose this optimism, you know, that contango is going to move further out on the curve. Now, basically, say, all right, we're not going to get out of this so easily and it's not going to put behind us so quickly. So we're going to struggle with very high inventories. Inventories, you know, if we are back to 90% of normal activity Hmm. in the second half, then we're not going to draw down a single barrel in the second half of the year. Right.
0: Yep. Yeah. So, uh, for those listeners who may not be aware of the, the Contango drawing out further on the curve, I think you mean it's just that the prices will be much higher. The price will come down for twenty twenty one, but stay high for twenty twenty two, twenty three. Potentially.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that is that is you know the moment we are hoping to advise our clients to buy um, forward crude for for twenty twenty one when the price moves down towards like thirty five from current
0: forty. Mm-hmm. I think. Another key issue here is, I know you're an oil market analyst, Birna, but uh, gasoline or, or petrol demand is obviously very key for the oil market. My question is, what does this mean for the development of the low oil price? What does that mean for the development of electric vehicles and you know, their role in the electrification of transport? Will it still happen or will it now go a bit on the back burner as companies trying to boost the low cost stimulus to the economy?
1: You know, I think um, the implementation of uh, electric vehicles is is very political. Of course, it's also economical. It's, uh, its pace has much to do with politics. Even as prices have come down and they've been becoming cost competitive um, without any subsidies in more and more places, depending on power prices, retail power prices versus retail gasoline prices. But, you know, I think... My thinking around the COVID infection, you know, it, it's it's also raising the awareness of our vulnerability. I think, mm. you know, we have been thinking of ourselves as um, superheroes, you know, uh, invulnerable to anything, masters of the universe, <laughs> and mm-hmm. suddenly we see that, you know, there is something that actually can, you know, affect us. We we, we cannot overcome everything. We have to be careful. Because we can, we are basically, you know, on this small planet in the middle of nowhere in the in the universe, and there is nowhere to go. So we have to be a little bit more careful uh, about, uh, you know, what bad, bad things can happen to us on on this small planet. Hmm. Uh, you know, so I think that kind of of thinking will be one part, which is going to sort of still sustain focus on EVs and and environmental issues. The other is, of course, you know. What has been the key drivers for EVs, in my view, it has not been so much the global uh, warming issue, even if that is a strong issue in Norway. If you look to China, it's all about, you know, reducing pollution in the big cities. Mm. You know, uh, make sure that people can breathe, that your kids can breathe in the big cities, that you're not ashamed of inviting uh, international politicians to Shanghai and Beijing because the air is so polluted. And also, you know, it has been highlighted from this COVID infection that the death rates are much higher also due to high pollution levels in the big cities. Mm. So I think that is still a very, very strong driver. Even in Europe, in Paris, you know, many places around Europe, you have high levels of of pollution locally. So it's a very, very good measure to remove those uh, those, uh, pollution levels. The other is, of course, security of supply. I mean, the OCD you know the international energy agency was established to counter opec okay so opec has the production but we has the storage and we we can you know have control on the demand side so oecd being mainly importers and opec the exporters and of course you know the oecd countries always hated that they had to import large amount of oil from OPEC with erratic, you know, uh, politics and changes and normal price variations in oil, mm. you know, of 30% up and down every year. You know, extremely unpredictable, unstable and politically problematic with, with the Middle East and, and Russia as well. So, getting away from this, and you know, looking at the oil markets today, you know, it looks even more crazy. Yeah. We've never seen crazy like this, you know. So. If anything, politicians, yes, you're getting it very cheap now, but you still want to just move out of this, get out, get out of the grip of OPEC and erratic oil markets, and move to something that you control yourself. You can produce, you know, um, electricity from nuclear, coal, gas, wind, solar, hydro, whatever you want to do, and and you can run your your fleet of cars. You know, so I think still the focus on security of supply. And moving away from the erraticness of oil and the oil politics uh, in the Middle East and elsewhere is, is still a strong, strong driver. And then, you know, if you look to Germany, Germany is, is producing cars and, and China is the biggest car market in the world. China is going down the road of EVs and, and electric transportation because of security of supply, because of, of local pollution and because of industrial strategy you know they are saying that down the road in 5 years evs is going to be the whole uh, whole story and we're going to be in the middle of that with with a large sophisticated industry around evs so if germany wants to be part of the global car market and of china mm. they need to move down that road and in order to move down that road they need politicians in germany to support the German car industry to move down that road as well. Absolutely. You know, so politicians and car industries going hand in hand on, on EVs in Germany as well.
0: Björn, I mean, I, I think this is an issue we have to, we will have to return to later in the year and, and see if uh, if the optimism was misplaced or not. But, well, I uh, think
1: for a time being, there's going to be more widespread uh, pessimism of trying to get out of this. But down the road, you know, if we look at the second half of the year, the world is going to be basically full of respirators and med- medical equipment. We're probably not going to be all back to normal, but we're going to be able to live with it in a much better way than we are currently doing.
0: Björn, thank you for joining the Montel Weekly Podcast.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Thank you.
0: Listeners, remember to keep up to date with all our stories on Montel News. Follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn and subscribe where you subscribe to your podcasts. Goodbye.